of my sermon. <laughs> So I got an opportunity to sing it rather than just say it. We've started a new quarter with our lessons on Sunday morning, Sunday school. I'm teaching the second coming in the fellowship hall, and I got 15 books left, and I want somebody to come get them and participate in our class. I thought we had a pretty good class this morning, if I say so myself, but... Uh, we'd like more to, so if you haven't got a class already decided, not trying to take away from Lee and his discussion of Mark, that's a good study as well, but uh, come and be with us on Sunday morning and, and talk about the second coming. Okay, I know, school days, school days. I, I've already sung the song. How many of you knew the words completely? Some of you got pretty deep into it, you know, this you were my queen of calico. I didn't know that, you know. But my, have, have, how things have changed over time, okay? Good old golden rule days. Golden rule in the... Uh... Good morning, Willie. <laughs> you do. It was that look he gave me like he was coming to get me out of the pulpit or something that I, <laughs> that I paused on. Golden rule. They don't teach that in the school anymore, do they? You try? You try? Does it stick? Uh, reading and writing and arithmetic, the three R's, right? Taught to the tune of a hickory stick. There ain't nothing about that that I like. You take a hickory stick to my behind and my brain shuts down, I tell you. <laughs> but that's the way we, a lot of us were taught in, a long time ago. Maybe it wasn't so bad after all. You were my queen in calico. Nita and I had to look up what calico was this morning. I know what a calico cat is, but I didn't know. It's a, it's a type of material, which I knew, but I didn't know exactly what it was. You were my bashful barefoot bull. Man, if you went to school today bash, uh, barefoot, the social services would be at your parents' home immediately, right? And going, what's up with sending your kid to school barefoot? But I know my mom and dad went to school barefoot all during the warm period of time. They didn't get shoes until wintertime got here. Tony's shaking his head. He knows what we're talking about. I don't, but he does. You wrote on my slate. Man, how long has it been since you carried a slate? To... One, do you know what a slate is? Okay. Don says he knows what a slate is. Little piece of chalkboard, I guess, right? Ah, oh, you get out of here with your iPad. <laughs> I, you wrote on my slate. I never carried a slate to school. But what I'm envisioning, envisioning is, you know, you had a little piece of chalk that you could write, maybe do your lessons as the teacher put them on the board or whatever. I, I'm guessing here, okay? So if I'm wrong, tell me I'm, I'm wrong. But I just imagine a little thing about like this. Ah, you've seen it on Little House on the Prairie for sure, right? Yeah. 
And then when you got done with that problem, you erased it and you did ready for the next problem, right? With your chalk and so forth and so on. We've set all this, wanted to have a little fun, but also to get us on the same subject of, of, of thinking about teaching. Now, there are many different ways that we learn. There's a difference between how you learn and how I learn. And, and it's not just specific about male or, or female or, or whatever. It's just the way our brain is wired. We learn in different ways and different forms. Now, some of you can pick up a book, read something, uh, be it a manual or anything along that line, and you can figure out what it is that you need to do with what it is you're trying to learn or fix or whatever. I'm hopeless when it comes to that kind of thing. I can't get it from a book. i got to see it. I've got to be able to touch it. I've got to be able to lay hands on it. So I can see how it goes together. And even then, a lot of times, I can't figure things out or get, get things going. So I've always been envious of people who could just take a book and read a book and know about a subject and, and learn from it. Okay? But again, I, I'm more hands-on. On you show me something and it sticks with me from that standpoint. And I can... A lot of times, recall it and, and, and figure it out. Then, if it's not one of those two ways, there are those of you who are creative enough and have instincts enough that you'll just dive into it and, and on the job learn, okay? What happens when I do this? <laughs> oh, I won't do that again, okay? I'm not... I'm not Strong enough to just stick my hand in that thing and say, I wonder what happens when it, when it does this. But there's others of you who understand the basic concept of things and know it's broad working and are not fearful of messing things up or tearing something up. I know many of you who tried to make your own repair at something to save money and would go to the hardware store and buy something for $10 to fix something and then end up paying somebody who, who has the skill $200 to fix whatever it is that you tried to fix, okay? Anybody here willing to admit to being able to? No, you're not going to raise your hand, are you? No. Oh, Willie, he raised his hand. i got to raise both hands and both feet. You know, the, the amount of... Money I've saved myself trying to do these things myself is just unfathomable because of having to get somebody who knows what they're, what they're doing. Learning is different today. You know, can you re remember your school days, some of you? I know it's ancient history for a lot of you. You remember how you learned and... Today, it's an entirely different, entirely different world. Mike, hold up your electronics again, okay? Every single one of us, almost, I would guess today, has got, is that a cell phone or is that a, a tablet, okay? Most of us have cell phones, right? And it's gotten to the point now that if you have a cell phone and it goes bad, it's 
an emergency, right? I mean, you got to get that thing fixed or repaired or reset or whatever it is. You can't live with that. How long have we had these things? 15 years? 20 years? And now they've become just no longer a luxury, no longer a, a, a thing of uh, excess, but it's, it's, it's a requirement. Every single kid that goes to school today has got a cell phone, don't they? And I don't know, do the schools let them get them out in various times, sometimes? My 10-year-old grandson, he's got a project three or four weeks ago, and he had to interview someone above 65 about technology. And how technology has changed their life. And so he starts, sets down to interview me, and he's got all these predisposed questions about um, technology, and he's, he's trying to make a report, okay? So he's asking me a variety of things. So I give him the answer, okay? So then he goes to his cell phone and hits Siri and says, Siri, how do you spell plumbing? I'm going, Alex, go get a dictionary. What's a dictionary? I mean, the the cell phone and Siri, I mean, you you can't get lost anymore. You can't misspell a word anymore. You can't, if you use your phone to add and subtract, you can't make a mistake adding and subtracting anymore. You can... I mean, you can do everything. We, Nita and I just got cell phones this past Thursday, new cell phones. And when we walk into the store and I show them what I've got, they go, <laughs> the, the guy couldn't stop laughing. Uh, who'd you get that from? Alexander Graham Bell? How many gigabytes does it have? Two? And so we get a new phone and it's... Wow, it's like stronger than the first computer I had, you know. It's, it's wonderful. People learn differently today. Technology is such a wonderful, wonderful thing in some regards. But in the idea of learning, how many of you have a Bible on an electronic device here with you this morning? That, that's why when our system was down and troubled it was a, a problem an issue for a lot, lot of folks ray read for us a scripture in matthew 28 to where jesus was telling his disciples i've got all authority go and make disciples and he gave them one specific thing to do teach teach what he didn't say was how to teach And certainly the methodology of teaching in the New Testament is different than the methodology of teaching in 2018. It was probably one-on-one with long discourses. Not like it, it is today. Jesus taught. We look at some of the scriptures that reference him. Luke 13, 10 Teaching in the synagogues, 13.22. Teaching in the towns and the villages. Mark 4, verse 1. He began to teach beside the sea. He began to teach in the synagogues and he astonished 
his students. Mark 6, 34. As he got out of the boat, he looked at the, the crowd and he looked at them as a sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion upon them and he began to teach. The Sermon on the Mount, as he concluded, concluded the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 28, it says there that they were what? Astonished. Astonished at the teaching of Jesus. Because no one had ever taught with the same authority as the man Jesus. Jesus, to, to use today's vernacular, was the goat of all teachers. Greatest of all time. He was a wonderful teacher. He taught some of the greatest lessons, some of the simplest things, using some of the greatest examples of, of life. John 17, verse 8, as we read last Wednesday night in the class on Jesus' uh, prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, I have given them the words you gave to me. They have received them. They've come to know the truth. Believe it. The greatest record of a teacher is when a student grasps what's been taught, listens, receives the message, learns from it, believes it, and is improved by it. But there's a, another way of learning as well. And it's the one that we tend to use most often. But it's not the proper way. I'm referring to cramming. If you've had a class and you're human, you've, you've probably dilly-dallied around all semester You've done what is required, but yet when it comes to be midterm or finals, you're, you're totally unprepared, and you will send, spend this period. Did you ever cram, Ray? Yeah, yeah. Once or twice? Yeah. I made a hobby of cramming. I knew the kind of grades my mom and dad wanted, but I didn't want to put in that kind of work. And so the only recourse I had was to go to class and then try to find out how it was the teacher was going to test and grade so I could achieve the grade that would keep mom and dad sending the funds and keeping me in school, okay? And so sometimes it would be, uh, the textbook is a guideline, but you're going to be tested on the lecture notes, okay? So what did that tell you? You can take this textbook and you can put it in your closet and you don't have to touch it. You just come to class, take good notes, and then cram like crazy before the midterm and the final test. And then you'll get the grade that keeps mom and dad happy. Right? When I was in college, we referred to them as all nighters all nighters 
That's the time frame when you've wasted so much time and you've fooled around so long that the night before the exam, you have to spend it, instead of getting a nice restful night's sleep, you have to spend the entire time on caffeine and cramming, trying to get into your brain, never realizing that you should have stopped at 2 o'clock because after 2 o'clock in the morning, everything just gets washed out. Many, many times I've gone into that 8 o'clock test thinking I was really ready. I had crammed as much as I could to draw a complete total washout because I had drained myself from studying, cramming, when I should have been doing it a little bit at a time all semester long, putting it in there so it stays in there so I can pull it out when I need it on the test. No. I've got to wait till the last minute. And I've got to try to force it in so that I can pass and take the exam. It creates a sense of urgency. You figure out ways to beat the system how the teacher does the test, you respond to that. Whether it's textbook material or lecture notes, you, you respond and say, okay, now I know what it takes to pass the test. I made the grade. Mom and dad are happy. I made the B. Whew. No more, no, no fussing. I made, I made the B. I could have made an A. I should have got a D but I made a B. I got the degree, but I didn't get the education. I didn't get the foundation. There, there's a law that exists that is so true. It's called the law of the farm. The law of the farm. And it's true in everything in life. We typically plant in what season? Spring. Springtime, right? But you don't have to, right? But you should plant in the spring. So you can take the spring and you can go fishing, you can play golf, you can cut grass, you can take a vacation and you can let the land lay there all you want to. You got time. And then the summer comes, the warmer months, when crops that you planted in the spring are beginning to plant and flower and, and grow, uh, to, to sprout and grow. You haven't even touched your land yet. And you can sit there and you can look at it and say, no. Not yet. Not ready. I got other things I got to do. And then you can get there and you can get to the calendar and you can say, it's August. Okay, it's time to cram. Okay. And you can work like crazy. You can plow all day and night. You can cultivate. You can plant hundreds of thousands of seed. You can water them like crazy. If they need eight inches, you can give them eight inches all at one time if you want to of rain or water. And you might get some to sprout. Some might even grow. You might even get some to flower. But what happens by September and October? 
the, the sun goes away. The temperatures go down. The growing season stops. Do you have a right to expect a harvest? Not at all. The law of the farm says, if you don't plant in the spring, if you don't cultivate and do all the kinds of things that you need to do a little bit at a time, then you're not going to receive a harvest when harvest time gets here. You can say, I'm going to cram all I want to, but you don't get a harvest. So the same is true with the Christian side of life. The farm principle is true in everything. How about your character? Oh, I'm going to live without character for 60 years of my life, and then for the last 10, I'm going to cram character into my person. Is it going to work? No. It's not going to work. You can't be a ruthless so-and-so for 60 years and practice it completely and then at the last portion of the life say, oh, I'm going to get religion, I'm going to get gracious, I'm going to cram character into this body and suddenly be a person of character. What do you have to do? You have to go a little bit at a time, right? In the spring, you need to plant those seeds of character if you want to later in life reach a harvest. How about physical health? I'd like to have an appetizer of potato chips and a, and a chocolate cake for dessert and wash it down with a chocolate milkshake. And like, I like to do that for 50, 60 years. <clears throat> and then the night before a marathon, go to the gym and say, let's get in shape to run the 26 miler tomorrow. Is it going to work? No. You're going to run about 100 yards and die of a heart attack. <laughs> because you're trying to cram physical health all in the last week before a marathon. What do you have to do? You have to push back on the potato chips a little bit <coughs> and start to work slowly. Little bit at a time, build yourself up to where you will be ready for the marathon when it comes. How about your marriage? I don't want to pay any attention to it at all. I just want to live with the woman. We'll act like we're married. And then at about age 70, I, <laughs> I'll become a good husband. I'll start to be attentive. I'll start to figure out what it is that she really wants in life. Is it going to work? Now, you ain't getting that far, you know. <clears throat> if, you can't, if you can't get through the first little bit, then you're not going to get that far. How about with your children? Let them go. Let them run wild. Let them do whatever they want to do. Don't check on them, don't have any curfews, don't have any rules, don't have any, anything for them to do. Just let them go. And then at, at 25, set them down and start talking to them about becoming a person of character. 
Unfortunately today, that's the way many people are raising their children. They're letting the schools or the churches or other places raise their children. If you want children of character, you start at two years of age, four years of age, six years of age, and you build it a little bit at a time all the way through. You can't cram 20 years of upbringing or lack thereof in, in two years of life. Now, we've said all that to sum it up and get to this point. If that's the way you're living your faith, then you've got a wrong view of what your faith needs to be. If you're living away from faith, without faith, with no regard to faith, and then you're waiting for the time for it to all kick in and say, okay, I will cram before the final exam and I will develop faith, I will get faith, I will be a faithful person. Why doesn't the law of the farm apply this particular time? And it does. And yet we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait, hoping, praying, one day faith is going to kick in and I'm going to change everything. I'm going to be a person of faith. I'm going to go to church on a regular basis. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. When I haven't done it for 60 years. It does happen, yes. Usually there's some significant event that happens to a person to make that big of a change. But yeah, it does happen. But it is the exception I state instead of the rule. One day we're going to have a final exam. And what we're counting on is enough time and enough notice to cram for the final exam and hope that we will make an acceptable grade. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, We will reap what we sow. The law of the farm. You can't ignore it in life. It's a principle that does not change. Romans 14, verse 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 12 says, each and every one of us is going to give an account of himself. You don't have to worry about me. Meaning you're not going to have to account for me. I got I to gotta worry about me. You got to worry about you. You can't stand in my place. I can't stand in your place. The final exam is yours. So, the law of the farm is what I want you to take away. Remember that. The law of the farm. You can't speed up a crop. You can't plant it faster. You can't get it to grow any faster. 
If they say it takes 77 days to make a watermelon, you know what? It takes 77 days to make a watermelon. Oh, you might get one in 76, or it might take 78 or 9. But for sure, you can't get one in a week. And you can't make a Christian in a week. You can't become a person of faith in a week. Instead of cramming for the final exam, let's start to study today by turning our life over to Christ, letting Him set the direction and pace and build on the foundation of faith. If you have a need this morning or a desire to respond to the invitation of Jesus, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?